welcome into the Celtics Life Podcast. The Celtics are still struggling, and Justin and I are here to hash it out over whether or not to be worth also breaking down our thoughts on why wins are so far and few between, and much, much more. But as always, thank you for listening. We'd appreciate it if you subscribe, and especially rating us five stars really helps for the reviews, but let's jump right in. Justin, it's been a rocky start, to say the least. We've talked about that already on the pod. What... I guess, are your thoughts on, on where you're at now on State of the Celtics? Well, I have been talked off the ledge by y'all and our readers and a bunch of people, but there's some very smart basketball minds out there who are already full on the panic bus, and it is really hard not to get on it, but there are good signs, you know, from the Toronto and obviously, and even, even in some of the losses, like the... The Charlotte Hornets lost. There were definitely things to point to, people doing things that they're supposed to be doing, and shots continuing not to fall. But there's still some, some stuff that is very clearly wrong, and I am really struggling with trying to, like the rest of us, what could possibly be the solution? Mm-hmm. So, and I, I've talked about how I think chemistry is such a huge part of what's going on, and today... The day of the recording, Wednesday, a lot of stuff is coming out of the players talking about how just they're so down on themselves and how the expectations that were set for this team have made them feel like they should be winning all these games and if they're not is weighing probably more than it would have if they didn't have these expectations. That The fact that they're not, whatever, 15-2 and two or whatever the possible record could be, the fact that we're not just dominating the East and the rest of the league is really, it's making it, kind of tougher than the locker room. Rozier, at least according to Twitter, is saying that they're not mad at each other and that the chemistry is fine, but it's just it's they're all just really upset with how poorly they're playing by their own standards. So I think if we can just notch a couple wins, that's the solution, is just stringing together maybe a bit of a run, and then suddenly the guys will start feeling a little bit better, and then we get kind of returned to the Celtics that we're used to watching of last year and, and the year before. I, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Well, that has been my default position, particularly since even before we hit that very, very tough run of teams. I mean, we were competitive against the team that is currently the number one team in the NBA in terms of win-loss record, uh, and that is not the Golden State Warriors. That is the Portland Trailblazers. You know, we, we could have, if the, if the shots were falling, if the players were more confident, I believe that was a winnable game, uh, and... A lot of other teams that are very good, we have won against. The, the, the main problem that we're having is dropping games we shouldn't be dropping at all. And that really, I think, is kind of creating this negative whirlpool of bad, I don't know, fan engagement, I guess you could say. Yeah, we've always played down or played up to our opponents. At least in, in the time that we've been doing this podcast, that's something we've said repetitively. Mm-hmm. In that we just always find a way to play down to the Chicago Bulls and then play up to the Warriors. And we just match our opponents, I guess, skill level for whatever reason. And I'm not sure why that is, but it's like we come out so flat against the bad teams. It's like we feel like we don't have to be worried or or whatever. The only team we've looked good against is Chicago. And, you know, through the first three quarters against Phoenix, we looked pretty bad. Through the first, I mean, all those bad teams we've played, we haven't looked that good. New York is a good example in, like, the third game of the season. So, you know, it's it's just we play well against these good teams, more or less. You know, the only exception being probably 
Indiana, but even then we held our own. And, you know, Toronto, we played well against both times. Utah, I think, is a good team, and they're in a similar situation, but yeah, we looked bad against them both games and uh, almost took game one between them. But I think it's just this problem of just staying at the level of the team we're playing and then just being unable to break out of that. And so it's worked well in some situations, but we got to figure out how we can just be the dominant team that we're slated to be and just stick with it and play as that you know team that's supposed to run the East. Well, last season... We excelled when we lost all of our expected major offensive options. So, Mm -hmm. for me, at least for now, even against weak teams, the teams that should be weak anyway, uh, the way that I am looking at this as a way forward is you start with the things you can control, and Mm -hmm. you can't necessarily control when a team comes to your reputation as supposed to be a contender this season. Uh, you can't control mm-hmm. when your own shots aren't going in when you're getting good looks. I mean, like, if you're taking stupid looks, but, like, Boston's problem is definitely not taking too many contested three-pointers. It's just taking too many three-pointers when nothing else is being used and nothing else is going. Uh, some nights. Defense seems to be the most controllable thing. The thing that they are, you know, translating to statistics, they are still, you know, they may not always, every night of the week, be the top-ranked defense in the NBA, but they're close. And see Kemba Walker. Well, frankly speaking, they, that was very, very difficult to stop, and I am of the mind that we lost that game because we didn't guard Tony Parker in a crucial stretch, which is... Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was that, that, I, I know exactly the play you're talking about, and that was just off or defensive rebounding that that fell through. That one sequence where they got like two or three offensive boards. Tony Parker found the ball, yep, on the left side and was able to hit the shot. I know exactly that, and that was just like we were trying too hard to. I mean, granted, the play broke down, and that was just its own kind of problem. But no, that, that's fair. But Kemba obviously was the one who was unstoppable, and he opened up the rest of the floor for everyone else. Yeah, and I, so, like, in a vacuum, I don't blame the Celtics for that. Just as a collective work of effort, the, this team's problems in other areas besides defense, you know, that being the, 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 the lone glaring exception, has been mostly difficult to pin down. It's constantly shifting, you know, a big part of it. And we can get into maybe one, two, <coughs> excuse me, an hour later, <laughs> has been Gordon Hayward and how he's fit with the rest of the team. He's had solid nights. I'm not going to say that he he has some issues going on. But he's definitely not all the way back. And that's that's going to be a problem. Uh, giving him the space to kind of shoot his way back into form has really taken its toll on Jalen Brown, for example, until recently. And I would say also to a certain extent, Terry Rozier. Um, uh-huh. Jalen seems to have finally settled into a role that he knows that his job is to play defense and to attack the basket until his shot starts falling. Uh, we'll see if he's if that lasts more than two games uh, tonight when the Knicks, I'm assuming that's going to be a big yeah. test. Hard for him to not shoot against their defense. Um, uh-huh. It'll be forgivable as long as he doesn't do another Marcus Smart impersonation. But in the meantime, what do you do with with Gordon Hayward? So he was benched to start the Charlotte game, but he still logged like 30 minutes. And it was one of his worst games among the last few. Uh, you look at Toronto where he tallied double-digit points and had not... Yeah, he was close to a double-double, but 
You know, I mean, it's, I think, finding a role for him off the bench, I think right now should be Brad's priority. And I think that, that would be the best solution to give him, you know, a better chance to feel comfortable out there against, you know, second unit guys. Maybe get some better looks at the rim. Maybe find more opportunities to score against worse defenders. Don't and then, you know, kind of step his way back into it. I feel like that's the best possible scenario for him is that, I mean, yeah, he will be capable of playing for unit. He definitely is. Yeah, that's his level, but he just needs to take time to get back into it. And I don't think that forcing him against the best teams, the best lineups, is necessarily the way to do that. And if he's doing it, he's got the hot hand, then give him those 30 minutes. Give him that time. If he's not, then maybe he spends only, you know, 15 minutes on the floor, 20 minutes on the floor. But I think that should be entirely conditional on how he's playing that night. And that hasn't been. He's been you know, among our top minutes, guys, for the entire season. I kind of wonder, and, you know, this, until now, would have been very unfair. But do you think it would be outrageous to say that maybe Gordon is getting a little bit more of a fair shake than he should because of his relationship to Brad Stevens? Uh... No, I, I mean, I'm not sure what it is. I, I haven't thought that, and I'm not sure if any Celtics fans do. But I, I guess it's possible. I think that it's entirely just that Ainge has said, like, no, let him off a leash. Now he's off the minutes restriction. Just let him play and give him the, the time. And I think that Stevens is letting it happen to the detriment of the lineup. And I think he's aware of that, which is why he finally was benched. But if that were the case, I mean, Hayward had said a couple of days ago, maybe last week, that he wants to come off the bench if that's what the team needs to win. And I would expect that if that were the case, Stevens would have said, all right, well, you know what, we're, we'll do that. We'll do what we do. But I think it's more that the team and, and the, the powers above Stevens are, are saying that he needs to be getting time on the court, and that's why he's getting so much run, would be my guess. But I, that's entirely speculative. Yeah, I mean, it's a reasonable assumption. It's just, at this point in time, we aren't seeing, we talked about this privately in the group chat, Mm-hmm. But we're not seeing yeah. signature uh, Stevens tinkering with with uh, the lineups as much as we have in, in seasons past, uh, which seems kind of almost nonsensical when you when you see both the combination of the results that people are getting and the fact that we are dealing yeah. with a completely new roster really, in terms of how how the minutes and offense is going to be distributed. to take some accountability for that because he's been the guy who's so willing to change the lineup, so willing to adjust minutes, and it's never seemed to affect his players before. So why is it now that we're so reluctant to change the starting five or that we're so reluctant to, you know, change the, the depth rotation and all that when, you know, we were willing to bench Avery Bradley and place it Gerald Green in the playoffs? Yeah. And we won't do that, won't do that in, you know, game 15 of the regular season? I, don't, I just don't understand what, what the reluctance is in the change. I think that's really affecting this team because Stevens isn't coaching the way that we've seen him coach, the way that we've seen him coach his way to, to at least of coach of the year. It seems like he's a different guy this year, and I'm not sure if it's just because he finally does have the talent that he was supposed to have last year. I, I don't know what the, the problem is or what, what kind of is, is the catalyst of that, but it, it just seems so unlike him to be this reluctant to make changes, to be this reluctant to, to coach the way that we've seen him do so. 
over the last couple of years. It's just it's strange. And I want to ask you that. How how much do you put this on, on Stevens? Because I think, and I was telling my friends, it's almost sacrilegious to call Stevens out because he's done, done so much with so little in his time as the Celtics head coach. And we've seen this great improvement. I think all of us look to Brett Stevens, but we think he's the centerpiece of what makes this Celtics team this Celtics team. But how much do you put on Brad in this situation? I mean... The man is a coach, so some blame has to fall on him, at least in regard for not trying things when things are clearly not working. And, like, I, I get that you want this group to, to find its way because this is the group that is going to win a championship if it's going to mm-hmm. win a championship. But, first, it might be good to come up with a couple of different lineups that you can throw out there that when you just can't freaking buy a bucket, you might be able to find one. Um, yeah. It's super easy for me to say that because he's got to juggle all of the egos behind the scenes. And like you said, what the office, the front office wants, you know, it's not just him making decisions. He can override them on the court, but there's going to be, a, you know, kind of like a day-to-day situation from what I hear out of Sacramento lately uh, going on. If you defy them too much, and especially if you don't get results, and there's really no guarantee of knowing what's going to get results at this point. So yeah. I, don't, I don't blame Brad per se, but I do think that he's going to need to come out of his comfort zone very, very soon in this easy slate of games, if, if they drop another game to the New York Knicks, I think everybody's spot is out the window, and we just play what works, no matter what it is, and no matter what. Like, a long-term goal at that point, I think we, we reassess uh, just getting a winning team on the floor first before we start thinking about championships. I do still think that we are within the realm of fixing things, but we get more than two or three losses into the teams. Then we need to have a very serious come-to-Jesus moment, because at that point, you're starting to endanger very, very important things like, for example, a certain very, very highly regarded point guard who is going to be a free agent this summer and have other opportunities presenting themselves that might look more attractive. So then let's look at that. Let's say, hypothetically, this team continues to drop games. We're staring at the playoff picture from the outside. At what point does the front office consider making moves, and what moves do you think the front office should start? Like, hypothetically, we're looking at like a 400 record middle of December after that stretch of easy games. Well, that's exactly where we should start considering making moves. Before that, at that point, or should we start considering it now? Because I, mean, I know you and I, you and I are not completely worried. You and I are right now sitting here saying there's a ton of time. There's not not anything that we need to be worried about right now. Maybe in December. You know, realistically, trade deadline is when I'm going to start panicking if this is still the case. But what is the time that the front office needs to start looking at, you know, clearly this team just can't win together. It's not that there's a lack of talent, because we all know that's not the case, but maybe it just doesn't work. Maybe it just doesn't fit the imagined it to. What point do you think the front office starts looking at, you know, these lineups that are considering blowing up their, their franchises and, and their rosters? New Year. New Year, I think they'll take it seriously. There's no point at all ever in on this of exploring deals barring a very surprising one surfacing, like, you know, Kevin Durant or something. Mm-hmm. Which wouldn't happen. Yeah, I mean, I, and obviously, Ainge's always getting calls. He's always, you know, he's, he's doing those, for sure. But I, I like, legit, I would agree. Legitimately, it'd be turn it a new year, January. Uh, if, if we're really, really struggling by the middle of December, I think maybe those, those conversations start to get a little bit more serious. The seats start to get a little hotter. But... I, it's not just the Celtics is the thing. And you have all these teams that were so highly vaunted, the Celtics included, but Utah 
was supposed to be the other challenger next to Houston in the West. You have Houston, similarly, sitting outside of the playoff picture, last I saw. The Timberwolves, who are coming off of ending their playoff drought, are struggling. Golden State is even you know, having a tough time. They're not at the top of the Western Conference right now. I'm sure that'll change. Are those teams exempt from these conversations, or are they happening among those fan bases too? Because, I mean, we're, at least we know Celtics fans, readers on Self's Life, who are panicked, who are worried, who think we need to make some changes. Are those teams exempt? How are they feeling? I mean, I know Washington. Washington fans are ready to sell the house, uh, whether we're talking about fans who aren't, like, you know, bloggers, writers, whatever. But even even very, very prominent media members who are open uh, Washington fans are calling for blow-up of that team. Uh, no, knowingly, they want to move everyone but one player. Can you guess what player that is? Bradley Beal? That John is the Hall? man. Who are we talking about? Bradley Beal. Yeah. So, based on that, all y'all who are out there thinking that we should uh, move some pieces now, or even really probably later in the season for Bradley Beal, uh, don't think he's going to come late. You know, he's going to require at least a quality first-round pick, and some guys can play because they don't, they don't want to bottom out completely out there. They want some promising pieces or some competent pieces, so you'd have to put together, like we were talking about this earlier, like a deal with like Marcus, Marcus Morris or, or something yeah. like that. Plus picks, and this is for a guy who is a more consistent scorer than most of the guys on the team, not named Kyrie Irving, but not much. Very high usage. Yeah. Is known to check out. Is known to clash with teammates. Uh, not anywhere near as bad as say Johnny Walker, uh, Mr. Wall, uh, but still. Mm-hmm. See, I liked I liked the concept of trading for Bradley Beal before I saw his salary. Exactly. And up, yeah, you know, up until that point, I was like, yeah, no, I, I thought that he was on a similar deal to like Marcus or, or something around there. I thought he was sitting like ten to fifteen range. I didn't know he was like mid twenties. And that's unreal. Like I like I, I would be if in favor of trading for him if that was even plausible. But you're looking at giving up two impact guys for Bradley Beal, and like it'd be like Marcus and Marcus. It'd be the two, you know, the two guys who have been our best offensive punch that's not named Kyrie and our best defensive player in Marcus Smart. And you kind of find like a medium of the two. You kind of make a hybrid in picking up Bradley Beal, but it's just too much of a loss for too little of a gain. And for the price that it would cost, it would just be too high. They also lose picks, stuff like that. Just not worth it. But I, I can say, until I saw that number, I was completely capable of saying, we should discuss that. Because partially, if they are going to blow up, they're going to have to make it a little bit cheaper. But, yeah, that's that's an expensive, expensive player. That's an expensive roster, and that's really the problem. They, uh, they took everybody... I was, I was shocked by that. Yeah, that was a, that's an expensive roster. <laughs> And not a very good one, which is what happens when you overpay to keep all the guys you drafted when some of them are guys you should have let walk. Mm-hmm. Sometimes trades and cap yeah, space. No, are... Yeah. They uh, do they make the playoffs this year? Do you think if they don't if they don't sell if they decide <coughs> to hold on to it because they can't find a deal? Do you think that they are a legit playoff team? I don't think it's impossible for them to get to the playoffs, particularly if they make a couple of. Solid moves. Um, I don't think they're making the playoffs. I think that, that is their ceiling is a seven or eight seed in, in the best case scenario because they've already dug themselves a pretty bad hole. They are several games out of out of the eighth slot now, so it's possible they can around, but they are they are definitely facing a pretty big uphill battle. 
Okay. Well, so since we're talking about trades, and I don't think that Washington is a fair year, but let's let's start with just the Celtics. If if we're at that hypothetical January first or around then, not doing well, and I, I kind of want to play a game right mm. now, just like going one by one of the big guys that we would trade. Uh, we'll we'll, so we'll kind of ignore bench guys because they'll be small deals. But if we go one by one, kind of starting lineup and the important guys. Sure. If somebody had to be traded. And I want you to give kind of a yes or no why you feel one way or another and, and who maybe that'd be the trade for or what we'd want to get back in return. Mm-hmm. Al Horford. Who's, um, your, who's your move? Yes I, or no? How important is he to the team? I'm going no just because what he does for the team, even in the way he'd been playing somewhat, you know, kind of, I won't say diminished, but tired maybe is the word. He just, he's, I, I feel like he's overworked this season so far. Uh, is kind of to be expected with a start that we've had. Uh, but all the same, even even in that state, I feel that you don't need to worry about uh, long-term years if he is playing very poorly all the way through January, uh, because he isn't going to be with the Celtics much longer anyway, unless they want him to be. You know, he, he only has one more season he opts in, and he could opt out as soon as this year, or this summer. So there's no real compelling long-term, we're worried about the end of his contract situation. And you aren't going to be able to replace him very easily at all this season. So I don't see any reason or whatever to move him. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think he's, he's a centerpiece of our front court. And our starting lineup also, I mean, he's, he brings so much to the table to show up on paper. I think the moving him would just be so detrimental to the team that it wouldn't be worth it the move, unless we pick up something insane in the return. I would do it for like a star, but I don't know why they'd be asking for Horford. So, that moves us to our kind of prized rookies and uh, young guys. Uh, Jalen Brown. I think he's the most movable and the most likely to be moved among our starters. Politically speaking, I, I agree. I still believe that would be a very big mistake. Uh, particularly... Mm-hmm. Particularly when you consider that he has been mostly top five and top ten um, all season in terms of offensive rating in the league, you know, and nobody notices that, but that's important. And if his offense doesn't come along till January, as long as he's still defending at that level, like if we're just getting what we're getting from Jalen, I would still hold on to him unless a clear cut guy who makes you into. You know, it's never a great contender as we are seeing. But an Anthony Davis, a Kawhi Leonard, um, I don't know. And I'm only including Kawhi Leonard for those of you who have known my position in the past because we now know that he is reasonably healthy. I'm still concerned about all the games he's been taking off. But, you know, someone of that nature, Giannis, or basically someone who, apart from maybe Kevin Durant, isn't going to be traded this season. So I think it's kind of a moot point anyway. Uh, but, you know, let's just say Anthony Davis and the Pelicans took a tail spin and followed the playoffs and they were open to trading him. Sure, I would be open to trading Jalen in that situation. Kawhi, sure, I don't know why the hell they would do that. That seemed complete lunacy out of Toronto. Uh, if they were up for it, I would be interested in it. Um, and Giannis is not getting traded by anyone, period. So I'm not going to think about that. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there's scenarios where I could devise a reasonable, you know, selling on the ceiling and worrying about the floor kind of a deal for him. 
But in my mind right now, he has already started with the ship by putting attention, as I'm saying, towards the things you can control to wait out the things that are harder to control. So, mm -hmm. still, yes, I agree, most likely politically um, in terms of mobility, but I am not at all sold on that yet moving him for those reasons, so. Uh, I I would like to say, before we kind of keep going with this game, I'm not in favor of moving anybody right now. And, yeah, just, I obviously it's all hypothetical, but, like, I, no, we're not endorsing these trades, but, and I, I honestly think that if we're going to win, it's with this roster. Unless, again, like, a guy like Kevin Durant opens up and somehow we can pry him away from Golden we're State. We're talking, like, a 2% chance there. Jason Tatum. Forget about it. Move yeah, along. Yeah, <laughs> very the center yeah i know and and that 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 brings me back to jalen for a sec too and that the two of them are kind of the, the, the centerpiece of the future as much as they are about now but it, it that's that's supposed to be the you know the banners 20 through 23 or something you know this is the like 19 18 19 and then those guys are gonna be the future past that and so jalen and Jason, i think are among the more players I think Jalen right now is a little bit more open, or I guess more likely to be traded, but Jason, I think, is, is as close to untouchable on this roster as you can get. What do you think? I think that apart from these guys, if there is a trade to be made, it's going to be made with people who aren't making regular appearances in the starting lineup, particularly if, for example, after the deadline, we could find a team that is a location where Marcus Morris could get lots of money. And Marcus Smart, notice how I keep bringing these two players up again, uh, could run a significant part of the team. Um, and obviously, since we are not thrilled with the idea of Bradley Beal uh, being a return for something like that, it would have to be an interesting player, and it would probably require a significant cache of picks as well. And so once again, we find ourselves in a very unrealistic scenario. Um, just to jump on some of the other starting guys, I kind of feel like this is something that relates to them as well, because Gordon Hayward, like I, I brought up in, in, in the group chat the idea of maybe we should begin to think about trading Gordon before we can go through an entire season of him not rehabbing his value. Um... And they all tie me down from the cliff because that's not very realistic for a lot of reasons, whether we're talking the relationship mm -hmm. with Brad, whether we're talking about the, the likelihood that he is finally going to return most of the way to form, if not entirely to form. And then you just flush a bunch of potentiality down the window on pennies on the dollar. Um, there's a lot of the reasons why that wouldn't work. So I think there's basically no chance to Gordon Hayward is included in any deals. Um, Kyrie Irving... I do think there is a chance that Kyrie could get moved in a very unlikely opportunity that a top 10 point guard with years that look nice becomes available. But mm -hmm. or, or Anthony Davis has on a more or less one-for-one -one deal, but that's also not happening. Um, you know, just to get around the whole Rose Rule issues, uh, for those of you who don't know, we can't have both of those guys on the team this season, though next season it would be possible. Um, and again, we are talking... Incredibly likely scenarios. So that leaves us Terry Rozier as the only guy in my mind who plays any kind of significant minutes uh, with any realistic chance of being dealt. And with the salary he makes, 
combined with the performance he's had, combined with the situations he'd be going to, and what we would probably want back for him, in my mind, makes it, though more likely than all the other guys, probably still pretty likely. So, mm-hmm. I don't I, I just don't think there's a very likely chance for a trade of any significance other than kind of like a, you know, a specialist kind of a guy to fill a need, like, you know, offense on the second unit or something, like combining some of the, the much smaller contracts, or maybe giving some guys in the space to, to dogs attacks, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree, and that's that's why I say I don't think of us are endorsing any trade unless something ridiculous comes forward. Uh, but I think Terry would be the most likely because of the, the everything that Kyrie has said. He continues to say that he wants to stay in Boston, even through this kind of tough start, rocky start. But it's uh, I think he's the only one who's, who's possible to go right now, besides maybe one of the, the little dudes. So like I wouldn't be surprised to see like a shakeup of the deep rotation guys if we if we ship off a package of like Yabu and, and Wanamaker or something. Or obviously we'd make pickups when Jabari situation is resolved so things like that but i think the way that we add a guy you know through waiver claims than we do try and trade for somebody so maybe near the deadline that'll be more clear and we'll obviously talk about that as we get closer to that and we hear more reports on things of that nature but for the time being i agree there's not like a very lucky move at least it's visible to me I recently wrote a with a more detailed list of what I wrote on. <coughs> Excuse me, don't want cold here. Uh, but both of both the list I gave y'all in the article I wrote mostly focused on those kind of guys, like the, the deep rotation to maybe at the very very most six man type of a role um, that we could accomplish. Now, there was a couple of them. I won't, I won't bore our readers, our, our readers, our readers to death with the entire uh, list of potential options out there, but there's a couple of good ones, and I have some favorites, but I'm curious, uh, for, the, for the guys who are coming free, uh, who signed deals this summer, um, of those guys, do any of them stand out as, as people you think that are both realistic and would be good ads for the team? Uh, you know, I mean... I like the concept of a scorer. I don't know how the money would work out for a lot of these guys, so I'm going to ignore that. Sure. So I like the kind of Tyreek Evans, and we were tied to him last year. Doug McDermott, I, I like him at Creighton, and he's been a, a solid guy, solid scorer for everywhere that he's been, but he's also bounced around a lot. Uh, for you, I like the Shabazz Napier move, and I'm a huge Jonas Strebko fan, so I'd be fine bringing him back to Boston. I like all those guys. But, you know, I mean, I, I'm not really all that uh, engaged on anyone else on those lists. I mean, Rudy Gay, I've always been intrigued by the UConn guy. But, you know, I, I don't think that'd be a move that we could make. I think he's pretty set in San Antonio. I agree. Rudy Gay could continue, if they continue sucking, and we can get them some young guys that might be able to show them something next season while they still have pop for at least another season, I'm assuming. Um, I could see I could see Rudy getting pried away uh, for not a ridiculous package, but honestly, for for his price tag, it would be kind of tough. We'd have to do a lot of you know um, veteran. Yeah, men. that's why I'm ignoring the numbers. Yeah, yeah, it would be hard for him or Tyreek. You could do it. You know, I mean, you 
you'd probably have to include Marcus Smart, which he wouldn't be available till January because of when he signed that that holds our situation pushed his signing uh, moratorium a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So realistically, guys like that are going to be harder to get. Like once you get down to more like around like eight or seven million, we can aggregate salary a little bit easier. I think Doug McDermott could be available because Indiana's been looking great. You know, he's on the list because it's not out of the question that they could have a big turn of of you know luck in terms of how they're playing. It could happen. I don't think it's going to. I do think that guys like you know if the Warriors continue to implode, which I doubt, uh, Jonas Jurebko could be a possibility. But he's been pretty good for them. Shabazz, I think, is someone we should definitely consider because he's barely above a minimum contract at one point nine million. So he's very very attainable uh, in terms of we could deal basically anybody on our roster could could be part of a deal that, that could land him. And with them having some key uh, injuries that really dampen their play hopes. Uh, and then I, I believe they controlled the pick for the first time since uh, they screwed up with us real bad. Uh, so it might yeah. even be you know advisable for them to sell off some some uh, asset for some massive years. Like I, I could see them doing something, turning Yabu, for example, into a rotation player because he get minutes with them and he's got years, you know. And Shabazz, if he does well with us, probably will never be making more in the middle exception. Because uh, he's not going to get a lot of minutes on our team, but he's already demonstrated throughout his entire career that he's capable of coming off the bench, uh, not turning the ball over. He's another top 20 uh, defensive rating guy, and he's very, very good at shooting the three ball. Exactly what we would love to have on our, on our second unit right now. There's a lot of other guys on here. I'm not going to bore readers to death by going through them all, but, you know, like, distributor who is never going to be able to lead a team, but might be useless to New Orleans by the time he's done healing his hand. Alfred Payton is a guy who mm-hmm. would have no problems distributing the rock and hardly scoring because that's basically all he does. And that's fine. You know, his defense kind of sucks, but second unit, who cares? Yeah. It's all right. Cool. Well, so let's let's uh, change gears. We'll talk about last week and uh, quick upcoming week and before we get out of here. Uh, two and two week, you and I, had, well, you and I had predicted for three and oh. Uh, prior to the Charlotte game, so we were calling for uh, through Saturday. You and I did pretty right. We got two and one call. Uh, Chicago, we dismantled. Not really much to say there. Looked good at home after a tough road trip. And uh, Toronto looked good. Good overtime win. I honestly thought I was going to get us going because of those two consecutive wins and two kind of good-looking wins too all around. And then came out just really flat against the Jazz. Uh, I think the worst that a lot of fans have seen them play all season to the point where Brad bench most the starters, I think in the third quarter. Yeah, that was actually pretty so, impressive. Four. I actually give him props for that. Um, that is why I've been a little more reluctant than some to blame Brad because he is trying to adjust. I just believe that he, he may be trying to balance too many, too many things and he's going to have to upset somebody at apple cart at this point. So have at it. Yeah. And then Charlotte, uh, and I keep talking about UConn guys because they keep coming up, but Kemba Walker <laughs> found ways to uh, stomp over us. <laughs> Pretty effectively to tune 43 points after a 67 point appearance the game before. So I guess we, we held him in check by his standards. But Fair. that hurt. <laughs> that, was, that was a painful loss. Uh, but a good one, according to Brad. He said he took a lot of positive takeaways. I would agree. There were a lot of good things to see in that game, but Gotta finish, gotta finish those games. You know, I mean, we were up by ten 
in the fourth quarter and just kind of watched it slowly chip away and then just completely evaporate. And then suddenly we lost. So it's, that was a tough game. I wasn't happy about it. Uh, upcoming week, we'll mention the Knicks game that is going to happen probably before you listen to this. Uh, we head for another back-to-back on uh, Friday, Saturday. Again, I believe... Atlanta and Dallas. Atlanta and Dallas. Uh, should be an easy win, I would hope. Hopefully. It's in New York. Or no, it's in Boston. Home game. Yep. Home game against the Knicks. And we both are road away, so Atlanta, you fly to Houston, or Dallas the next day. Dallas is going to be so, harder than I think a lot of people anticipated. They beat the Warriors the other night. That was one of the games that they've lost recently that really got Kevin Durant's skin. He got fined for basically shit-talking a shit-talking fan, uh, which is, I guess... A, I know, I love that. Yeah, me too. I actually... You know, like, if you ever go to a game and you hear some of the shit that people are shouting, like... I'm honestly surprised we don't hear about this kind of thing happen more often. It must take a lot of self-control to not tell people to shut the fuck up and enjoy the game when they are shouting shit about your mom and your family and all kinds of shit that should just really be off limits. I know it's heckling and we should be professional, but that said, and I'm not saying it's right, I'm not saying it's good, but I'm surprised we don't hear more about this kind of a thing happening. But I digress. Yeah, I agree. But so they, they look legit. Dallas. I mean, not not legit, but they look good. Legit for what uh, we for what you expect from them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and so you know, Luka Doncic is playing good ball. That's the team. And so I, I would be doing one week if you want to include Monday. We got New Orleans on Monday as well, and uh, that'll be a tough game. I would like a three and one week if you count Monday, but. I wouldn't be surprised to see us two and two again. If we're one and three, then I'd be a lot concerned. Oh, we'll be we'll, we'll be in the doghouse of everyone. Everyone will be in everyone else's doghouse. It'll be a rough time to be a Celtics fan if that happens. I am predicting out of those four games, three and one as well. Um, and I am going to predict that the loss will not be to New Orleans. I don't think two, but it's not going to be. Yeah, that'd be the most likely one, but. Wouldn't surprise me if we dropped a game in New York. They almost beat us once, and we still ain't figured stuff out yet, so. All right, well, if it happens, you will be able to read about it on CelticsLife.com. And while you're there, check out all of our links where we have all the stuff that you can want. Merch, the shirts, the hoodies, the tickets for that game. If you're listening before the next game somehow, <laughs> tickets, tickets headed. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. It's awesome. You, yeah. you can find the pop on Wooshka iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and most podcasts. Please, like we said at the start of the show, if you're still listening, you must like this, so come on! <laughs> Give it! Come on! I'm no, sure you're subscribed. <laughs> subscribe! All that good stuff. Awesome. Anyway, if you don't like what you hear, you know what to do. Tell us we're, 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 we're terrible. Podcasters or bloggers, uh, or just use the hashtag COPOD and like the bat signal. We will know that something is up. So help us bring you the Celtics coverage you want, the way you like it. Like a Celtics live bat signal that shines above our collective homes. Like all of our, no?
What would it be? We'll work on that. All right. We'll see if that fits in the budget. You got any ideas? Let us know. All right. Thanks, guys.